Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Joe Zimmel and Valerie Friedman. This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalbethanchel. In the lead up to November's 2020 presidential election, how can Americans figure out what information is real and what is fake? Coming up, a media literacy expert at Brooklyn College joins us. She's one of several people featured in a new Connecticut public documentary called Fake, Searching for Truth in an Age of Misinformation. It's streaming now on cptv.org. The documentary focuses on how misinformation and disinformation spread and what Americans can do to become smarter consumers of news. We hope you stick around for that conversation. First, have you filed your taxes yet? If you make below a certain income a year, you could file for free. So why aren't more Americans doing so? A ProPublica investigation digs into that question and finds that tactics by software company Intuit have helped it create a multi-billion dollar franchise. We wanted to learn more about that ProPublica investigation. So joining us now from NPR, NPR's New York studio is Justin Elliott, a reporter for ProPublica. Justin, welcome to the show. Hey, good to be here. Um, our listeners can also join the conversation, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WNPR. As always, find us on Facebook and Twitter, at Where We Live. Uh, Justin, we're in tax season right now. Uh, for many of us, it is a burdensome time. It can be confusing. But when we think about the U.S. Uh, experience filing taxes, uh, what is it like compared to other developed countries? Yeah, I mean, it's it's funny. It, it's sort of another example of uh, American exceptionalism. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it turns out that in most uh, developed countries, um, you don't actually have to do your taxes in the way that, that we do. Uh, and the reason for that is uh, the tax agencies around the world uh, already have most, if not all, of the data they need to pre-fill out your form. Um, so in many countries, you basically just get a pre-filled out form and look it over and, and essentially click OK. Um, and, uh, you know, in, in this country, the IRS obviously collects a lot of uh, salary data and that sort of thing f- uh, for, you know, tens of millions of Americans. Um, but uh, we don't have such a system. That's too bad. That sounds pretty uh, easy if we, it gets uh, pre-filled for us and all we have to do is uh, double check and sign. Yeah, right. And and so the the, uh, the reason for this goes back uh, to the late 90s and early 2000s when, um, you know, personal computing was exploding. And actually, during the George W. Bush administration, uh, they uh, there was a proposal to have the IRS create a system like this or at least create sort of a, a better um, online tax filing option uh, through the government rather than through a private company. Um, and that's when um, Intuit, the uh, Silicon Valley company that makes TurboTax, which is the biggest player in the space, um, started lobbying very aggressively against the government uh, creating an, an easier system. Uh, tell us, walk us through the arguments that uh, Republican lawmakers and others, uh, where they agreed with Intuit that maybe the IRS, which is the tax collector, uh, shouldn't also be the tax preparer. That's right. So yeah, that, that that's a core part of the uh, argument of of Intuit and and some people in Congress that they're they're basically arguing that 
there's an inherent conflict of interest in the IRS uh, both sort of preparing your taxes and, uh, you know, collecting the taxes. The idea would be that the IRS, you know, it's in their interest to maximize the amount of revenue they're getting. So why would you trust them to to do your taxes? Um, and, you know, I think there might be something to that if you're a very wealthy person with a, a complicated uh, tax situation where, you know, you might be itemizing your deductions um, and there might be uh, some complicated issues. But it turns out for most Americans, and actually this is even more true, uh, now after uh, the Trump tax law um, made it so more people use the standard deduction. For most Americans, uh, you know, your tax, your federal tax bill is a quite simple formula. It's, you know, how much money you make, a rate, and the standard deduction. So there's, there's you know, there's not really uh, like hidden deductions you could be taking or uh, ways that the IRS could be helping or hurting you. So as you mentioned, under the George W. Bush administration, this proposal uh, came forth that the IRS could help Americans file free if there's some type of free filing program that was created. You mentioned uh, Intuit and others were worried about that because they wouldn't be making uh, the money from these customers. And so how was this resolved back in 2000? Right. So the industry led by Intuit, which makes TurboTax, which is by far the biggest player, uh, essentially made a counteroffer. And and what they said to the Bush administration was, uh, no, 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 you don't want to have the IRS create a free online filing system or, or you know, even go further and, and do these pre-filled returns. Instead, why don't we have a public-private partnership where the government partners with us, the industry, um, and we will provide free versions of our products like TurboTax and other, you know, TurboTax competitors to uh, Americans who make under a certain amount of money. Um, and in exchange, uh, the IRS will promise uh, to never compete with the industry. Um, and uh, so there was a lot of pressure and lobbying on the administration um, in Congress. And ultimately, uh, this public-private partnership was created and it's called – and we, it's, uh, we still live with it today and it's called the Free File Program. And who would be eligible and, and where do you go to know that you could use this program versus going to a tax professional, Justin? Sure. So if you're a person who is comfortable, uh, you know, essentially using TurboTax or, or online software to prepare your taxes, um, the, the most important thing to know is if you make under $69,000 per year, and that's for mm -hmm. the household, uh, which turns out to be most Americans, um, you can get tax prep software like TurboTax for free. Um, and the way to do it is to go to the IRS free file website. Um, now, this gets very confusing because the uh, the companies like Intuit have created uh, quote unquote free versions of their software that are not the same as the free file program. So if you want to use this program, what you need to look for is the IRS free file program. Make sure you're on the irs.gov site looking for it.
Uh, Justin Elliott, again, reporter for ProPublica, as you walk us through this investigation and into its practices, really to market TurboTax. It's one of the leading uh, software uh, tax filing programs in the country. Again, there was this free file program that uh, was available, but as you mentioned, uh, TurboTax, uh, there was also a free version. So just walk us through, but before we do that, maybe I should actually play this ad because many of our listeners may have seen this advertisement. Again, they had, TurboTax has their own free version of filing and they've been marketing it in this way. Free, 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 free. That's right. TurboTax free is free. Free, 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 free. Justin, that sounds great. It's free. But tell us, with the practices that TurboTax has unveiled, when people go to uh, the website or try to file their taxes for free, what happens? Right. So what we found is that there's over 10 million Americans last year who clicked on one of these one of these ads that said free um, and ended up getting charged you know fifty hundred two hundred dollars by TurboTax or one of their competitors um, so essentially the the whole game that these companies have been playing is they entered into this partnership with the government to have this free file program which truly is free if you make below the income threshold of sixty nine thousand um, dollars and then they created a uh, very different uh, parallel products that also had the word free in them, like TurboTax Free Edition, um, and poured millions of dollars into marketing those products. But if you click on TurboTax Free Edition, uh, what will happen is you could spend, you know, 45 minutes putting in all your tax information. You know, no one really enjoys doing that. Um, And then three quarters of the way through the process, depending on which tax forms you happen to need, um, you will potentially hit a paywall that says, oh, actually, uh, in order to complete the process and file your taxes, uh, pay us uh, 100 bucks, 150 bucks, depending. Um, and you know what we found in our reporting, and in- including talking to a lot of people that have worked it into it, is the company has realized that most people, if they hit that paywall when they're 50% or 75% done doing their taxes, they might be upset, but they're just going to swallow it and pay because no one wants to do their taxes again. Um, and so, you know, the world that we've been living in for the last number of years is that there's, you know, millions and millions of people who are paying TurboTax and other companies, even though they could be getting this the same or similar products for free if they had just found the right website to start on. That actually happened to our uh, talk show producer here, Carmen Baskoff. The company is playing into, as you mentioned, there's an acronym in the story called FUD. What is that? Yeah, that's uh, a piece of marketing uh, lingo that I learned during this reporting. It stands for fear, uncertainty, and doubt. Um, and this, this is something that's talked about uh, at other companies as well. But essentially what we were told was that inside Intuit, um, you know, they uh, essentially want people to be confident enough to attempt to do their taxes using online software rather than like going to a, a CPA. Um, but they don't want them to be too confident uh, because uh, – that you know, if if somebody's too competent and there's not enough uncertainty and doubt, then they might just try to do their taxes on their own or find one of these truly free options. And so the company has uh, pursued pursued a strategy where they try to uh, th- you know th- 
through the messages when you're going through TurboTax, they try to sort of uh, foster fear and say, don't worry, uh, this is extremely complicated, but the software is doing it all for you. And, you know, you should feel good about paying us without telling people that actually you could be getting uh, the exact same product or something very similar to it for free. Justin, how many Americans are we talking about that are eligible to file their taxes for free, but because of these marketing practices by TurboTax, because it's not very well known that there's this free file program again that they can find on the IRS website, uh, that they could be not having to pay to file their taxes? What are the estimates? What do we know? Sure. So the inspector general uh, that oversees the IRS took a look at this um, after some of our reporting last year. They did their own investigation and report. And the number that the inspector general came up with based on some surveys they did was 14 million Americans last year paid uh, Intuit or one of these other companies like H&R Block uh, for tax prep that they could have gotten for free. Um, My colleague and I have done our own sort of back of the envelope estimates, and we believe it could be actually even higher than that. But, you know, what's clear is that it's millions of people. And also, I mean, another thing that was striking in this reporting is is just how much money TurboTax is making. I mean, this this stock has been uh, just going up and up and up over the years. Um, It's essentially a license to print money. Uh, the founder is a billionaire. Um, you know, the CEO makes tens of millions of dollars a year. So it's been an extremely lucrative business for this tech company. You mentioned this impacts 14 million Americans. I'm curious, of those Americans, how many of them are service members who are actually eligible to file their taxes for free? Yeah, so we don't know the precise number, but we do know that uh, service members and their families are, are targeted by, uh, you know, special tactics that are, you know, we think particularly deceptive. Um, it turns out that uh, if you are in the military, um, the Defense Department has actually contracted out um, free online tax prep. So. Uh, actually, without any income caps, if you're in the military, you should um, look for the Defense Department uh, website. It's called MILTAX, M-I-L, tax. Um, and so the government's already paying for online tax prep for people in the military. But what TurboTax and some of their competitors did was they uh, marketed um, what they called like a military discount to service members. So they're saying you can get TurboTax at a discount, um, which, you know, sounds great. Everyone loves a discount, but it's another situation where they're discounting you on software that you could be getting for free if you just found the right website to start on. What about the other players in this market? Again, your investigation um, at ProPublica focused on TurboTax, but what about H&R Block and others in terms of how they're making money and also providing information that for certain Americans you could file for free? Yeah, what we found is that they're actually all pretty similar. Um, The reason we focused on TurboTax is that they are just uh, by far the biggest player um, in online tax prep. They have about, um, I believe, 67% market share for online tax prep. And the next biggest is H&R Block Online, which is something like 15%. So TurboTax and Intuit really control this market. Uh, You know, there there, there is... uh, Another company called Credit Karma that some people may have heard of that um, gives you free tax prep and essentially in exchange for your data that they try to monetize. And um, 
that was sort of an upstart in this market that was uh, gaining market share because it actually was free as long as you were willing to uh, give up your data. And uh, last week it was announced that Intuit is is trying to buy Credit Karma. Um, so we'll see if, if uh, that, that acquisition is approved by the government. Joining us from NPR's New York studio again is Justin Elliott, a reporter for ProPublica. As we learn more about this investigation that ProPublica uh, uncovered, we're looking into how Intuit, the software company, uh, really spent millions of dollars in marketing and lobbying, uh, fending off the government's attempts to make tax filing free. And in return, they're now uh, created a multi-billion dollar franchise. If you've used TurboTax, uh, we would like to hear from you. 888-720-WNPR. Were you persuaded to try TurboTax because of those free, free, free advertisements? And what was your experience uh, once you got through uh, three quarters of the process to file your taxes? You know, coming up, we're going to be talking about programs to help Americans uh, under a certain income level to file for free. Uh, it's called Volunteers Through VITA. Uh, but before we get to that, we started our conversation, Justin, talking about how there was a talk within the George W. Bush administration again to get the IRS to come up with ways to help Americans file for free. So since your reporting, uh, what happened uh, late last year where Intuit, with all the money they've spent on lobbying, uh, they were actually almost close to getting a law passed uh, to continue the, the this process as it stands now? Right. So early last year, uh, Intuit um, was ab- about to get this uh, provision put into U.S. law that that actually codified the prohibition on the IRS ever creating its own program. This is something the company had been uh, pushing for for years, and it would actually put it in law saying, you, the IRS, our tax agency, cannot make uh, an online filing service that essentially competes with TurboTax. Um, after some of our stories came out, this got a lot more attention in Congress. Uh, that provision was scrapped from the bill. Um, and then um, after some investigations inside the IRS uh, at the end of the year, um, the IRS actually renegotiated its deal um, with the industry and they actually took out the language from their from their uh, memorandum with the industry that said the IRS can't create its own program. Um, so that doesn't mean, of course, that the IRS is going to create uh, a sort of free um, government version of, of TurboTax, but it means that they now uh, are not barred from doing that. So we don't expect to see that under the Trump administration, but, um, you know, Several Democrats running for president, uh, Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, um, I believe Amy Klobuchar, perhaps a few others, have proposed uh, various versions of the IRS creating a, you know, an online free option for um, American tax filers. You can join our conversation, 888-720-WNPR. Cindy's calling from West Hartford. Cindy, go ahead. Oh, hi. Um, my husband and I have been using TurboTax for years, and we have sort of a mediumly complicated, you know, tax situation. And um, we love the product. It feels like it's reasonably priced. The company did the work to create this thing that makes our lives easier. And, um, you know, if the government wants to provide a free um, tax software for everybody, I think that's a great idea. But I have no complaints about TurboTax. Well, Cindy, thank you uh, for your comment. Uh, Justin, uh, how do you respond uh, to Cindy? There's obviously a lot of people who use uh, TurboTax and are happy with the service it provides. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, I, you know, we absolutely don't want to minimize all the work that goes into create, you know, they, they've sort of simplified the tax filing process and there's obviously value in that. The thing that we were focused on was the fact that the company entered into this deal with the government that said we are going to, we and our, and others in the industry are going to offer free tax prep to anyone who makes below $69,000, which is, turns out, the majority of the U.S. population. So they enter into this deal with the government, and then they turn around and create a parallel product that also has the word free in it, aggressively market the parallel product, and for millions of people, that is not free. Um, so we felt that that was worthy of, of scrutiny and, and, you know, the reporting that we did. Uh, before we head to break, uh, Justin, uh, what about the argument? Does the, is the IRS adequately funded to handle, say, that there was a movement in the future where uh, the IRS and, and, the, and Congress uh, wanted to make sure that the Americans that could file for free, it was easier for them to do so. But that also requires having uh, support to answer questions uh, if there's a Again, more people are using the free file program. Does the IRS have the resources uh, to do that adequately? Yeah, I mean, that's a very good question. I think the answer right now is no, the IRS does not have the resources. And that is, uh, you know, um, on, on that issue, you have to look to Congress. And actually, in the last decade plus, Congress has been steadily cutting the budget of, of the IRS. Um, it's something my colleagues at ProPublica have been writing about, and this has had all kinds of implications for both administration of tax filing and also tax collection. The IRS has really been gutted by Congress in recent years. So, um, you know, I, and I think that's one of the reasons the IRS has been cautious around uh, sort of getting more into helping people file their taxes. But, you know, the, under our system, uh, that could change tomorrow if, the, if, if Congress just appropriates more money to the IRS and decides that's a good use of taxpayer dollars. This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. My guest today from NPR's New York studio, Justin Elliott, reporter for ProPublica, as we hear about this investigation into how software company Intuit and its popular TurboTax have fought off the government's attempts to make tax filing free for millions of Americans and creating a multi-billion dollar franchise. After the break, we continue our conversation. You can join us too, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WMPR. Or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Because it's tax season, we've been focusing on a ProPublica investigation that found that big names in e-filing, like TurboTax, have spent millions of dollars, making it more difficult for Americans to file easily and free of charge where they're making uh, the money. A link to ProPublica's investigation is on our website, wmpr.org slash where we live. You can also find uh, that story on Twitter at where we live. Have you used TurboTax? Were you drawn to the software because you thought you could file your taxes for free. Maybe you appreciate the convenience of using this software program. You can join us 888-720-9677 or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. My guest from NPR's New York studio is Justin Elliott, a reporter for ProPublica. And before we continue our conversation, I, I wanted to take uh, some calls. Bill's calling from Riverside. Bill, you're on the show. Hi. Um, my name is uh, Bill, and um, I do uh, taxes for not only my wife and myself, but also help out my uh, children as well. And most of them, uh, or all of them, are recent college grads, and uh, 
they've been working in different localities, so therefore I have to get Philadelphia uh, or uh, state of Pennsylvania, Philadelphia uh, tax information, Chicago, uh, New York, Connecticut, and each one of those are different packages within TurboTax. And uh, you pay the initial fee, and you get one, you get the federal return plus one state, but each additional state is another 45 to $50. And I'm, I'm just wondering, is there a way around uh, trying to uh, prepare these tax returns, not just for the federal government, but for the uh, uh, states within the United States where our family may be working. Uh, Bill, great question, and very nice of you uh, to do your taxes uh, for your children. Uh, Justin Elliott, uh, there's a, a, again, I wanted to just make sure we clarify this. The free file program that we're talking about is to help Americans file their taxes, their federal tax returns, but H&R Block, TurboTax, that's how they're making money is when they, when people try to file their state return, uh, that's where the fees come in? Um, well, so it, it, it sort of depends, okay. but actually the free file program for, for I believe, the vast majority of states, you'll also get a, f- a free state return. So my okay. advice to the caller is, and I, uh, f- first of all, I don't think there's any way of actually getting around filing taxes in, in states and cities that, you know, require an income tax return. Um, but if your kids uh, make under $69,000, my I, I strongly urge you to look for uh, Google for the IRS free file program or Google ProPublica free taxes. We, we put up a whole guide to this. Um, and uh, you may well be able to get uh, either TurboTax software or um, one of the other companies uh, for free as long as you start on the right website. And that, that should apply to uh, most states as well. Uh, Pippa's calling from Branford. Pippa, you're on the show. Hello. Yes, go ahead, Pippa. Oh, um, so we've been using H&R Block um, for many years. And for the first time, they've in- insisted when you kind of fill in the preliminary questions that we go through a tax professional and pay an extra 100 bucks um, to do the FATCA 8938 form. And this is the first time it's happened with us with H&R Block, and it just seems like, um, you know, more money and a bit of a rort. And I was wondering whether if we phone them and try and see if there's a a way of doing it like we used to do, which didn't cost us $100 or $200, if we could do that. It just seems like very unfair that they've suddenly decided to, you know, to not support the form. Uh, Pippa, thank you uh, for your call. Uh, Justin Elliott, any advice for her? Yeah, I mean, look, these, I mean, the, the whole business model of these companies like H&R Block Online and TurboTax is they will charge you depending on which forms you have and uh, how much they charge you based on which forms. They can just change that and they do change it frequently. Um, so I'm not familiar with, with the particular form the caller is asking about, but um, you know, my advice is, uh, again, if you make below sixty-nine thousand, look for the IRS free file program. Um, if you make above sixty-nine thousand, um, then you know the most you can do is sort of shop around through the various commercial options. Uh, there, um, you know, one option that may be worth checking out is this uh, Credit Karma, which um, won't actually charge you money, but they will take your tax return data and try to monetize that. So that's something you would have to weigh. But you basically just have to shop around if you don't like uh, the, uh, you know, what, what the company is trying to charge you. 
I wanted to welcome into our conversation now Christine Galmond, who's a VITA program coordinator at the Village for Families and Children. And Christine, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. We've been talking about, again, uh, millions of Americans who may be eligible to file their taxes for free. They may not know it, uh, and they end up paying. Uh, you, uh, again, volunteer for VITA. Tell us what that is. Sure. So VITA is actually Volunteer Income Tax Assistance, and it's an IRS nationwide program. Um, There are many coalitions throughout the country. Connecticut has three main coalitions that offer free tax preparation service. Uh, The one that I work for is actually through the Village for Families and Children and United Way of Central and Northeastern Connecticut. And we partner sort of to offer free tax preparation to the greater Hartford area, as well as Tallinn and Wyndham counties. So together, we help low to moderate income families um, and individuals with incomes up to $56,000 file their tax returns absolutely free. In Connecticut, if someone's listening and they fit that eligibility requirement, where do they go to find a volunteer like you? Sure. So they're going to call 211 and choose option three, then option six, or they can go online to 211ct.org and click on tax help. Uh, Why did you start to volunteer with VITA? What brought you uh, to this? Because I understand that there are a lot of student volunteers with VITA as well. Yes. So I actually heard about VITA as a student at Eastern Connecticut State University. It was offered to me as an internship. Uh, So I applied, got the internship. And once you participate with VITA, you kind of have to do it, but you fall in love with the program, as I did. Um, And I volunteered for two years. And before I graduated, my supervisor actually offered me the job to run our coalition for Connecticut. So. We've been talking a lot about income eligibility. You have to make uh, below a certain income level. How many times have you talked with somebody who needs assistance where they didn't realize that they could be filing for free? I feel like every time I talk to someone, you know, there's more people that don't know about the VITA program as much as I I do try to spread the word. But I'll be in the grocery store in line talking to folks like, hey, have you filed your tax return yet? If you're making under $56,000, you know, call 211 to see if you can qualify. When listeners call 211, VITA volunteers, they may be at senior centers, libraries. Tell us uh, some other places. Yes. So we have about 26 sites in our coalition throughout the state of Connecticut. As you said, it is senior citizen, uh, senior centers and libraries, but we're also at colleges as well. We're um, here in Hartford. We're at Trinity College. We're at Capital Community College. uh, We're at as an untucked community college in Enfield. Manchester Community College. Um, we're at some of the community centers, Pope uh, Pope Park and Parker Memorial. So we're we're pretty much everywhere. And one of the benefits, besides talking with someone who's been trained uh, by the IRS to file taxes for people who don't speak English as their first language, you have volunteers that can help them as well. We do. We have a, a great program over at Mikasa Community Center on Park Street, and they are very, very great at helping um, the underserved non-native English-speaking populations. I wanted to bring Justin Elliott back in the conversation, again, a reporter for ProPublica. When people search online, Justin, for help, maybe they don't know about VITA as, a, as one option for them. How hard is it for them to find programs that aren't uh, deceptive products that say, again, that uh, you could file for free, but then when they start the process, uh, not just talking about TurboTax, uh, they find out that um, there is a fee attached. 
Yeah, I mean, the unfortunate thing is that um, TurboTax and other companies have poured a huge amount of advertising dollars into, you know, buying ads on Google. So, you you know, you should be careful uh, if you Google for free taxes, the first few links will probably be ads that will go to uh, things, software that, that says free but might not be free. Um, I think uh, Vita is a great option. That's, um, you know, as I understand it, that that's a great option for people who actually want in-person help and and don't want to um, prepare their taxes using software like TurboTax. Um, so, uh, you know, we um, at ProPublica put together a whole free tax guide where we explained um, here's here's where you can go online. Uh, if you want to find the free option, here here's where you can find a Vita site. Um, you know, I would also another thing I would I would throw out there for people is uh, you should be cautious about walking into the storefront tax prep uh, businesses um, because you know we've heard reports that sometimes they're actually charging you four or five hundred dollars um, to prepare your taxes, and you know they might sort of be hiding it by uh, deducting that money from your refund, so you know so you don't feel it. Um, so it, you know, if you uh, qualify for VITA um, and you're somebody that, that goes into a, a storefront tax prep place, um, you should definitely look into VITA because it's, again, some, you, you could be saving, you know, literally hundreds of dollars and getting essentially the same service. Justin, when you mentioned these storefronts, are you talking about those places where they hire people to dress up in costumes to file your taxes, to grab exactly. people's attention? The, <laughs> the Statue of Liberty, Liberty Tax <laughs> being uh, the, the sort of uh, Statue of Liberty people standing out with the file your taxes. Uh, that, that's one of the big ones. H&R Block has storefronts, uh, Jackson Hewitt. Um, these these tend to actually be clustered in lower income areas uh, for, for various reasons having to do with their business models. But um, those places will generally charge you even more than the online options. Um, and many of the people going to those storefronts, uh, you know, have lower incomes and therefore could be getting the free help from Vita if they, um, you know, can find it, um, or could be using the uh, IRS free file program if they if they feel like they want to do their taxes with software online. I understand AARP also has assistance for senior citizens. We're also hearing from CRT, a nonprofit, in uh, on Twitter that uh, writes over the past. 16 years, CRT has helped more than 26,000 people in central Connecticut with free tax prep through VITA. And, and Christine Gauman, I'll go back to you, a VITA program coordinator at the Village for Families and Children. Uh, that's that a lot of people and a lot of money that you're helping bring back in the community when their taxes are file, filed correctly. It is. So CRT is actually part of our Greater Hartford Coalition. But in total, last year, we were able to serve over 9,200 families um, and bring back a total of $20 million in refunds and credits to our communities. Well, that sounds really great. Thank you, Christine Gauman, for joining us today here on Where We Live. Uh, Justin Elliott, before we let you go, uh, earlier we asked about the response uh, to your reporting at ProPublica. When we think about uh, state attorneys general, are they also investigating uh, TurboTax and finding ways again uh, to help uh, Americans find out if they can file for free uh, that they do so? 
Yeah. So after our stories, um, Intuit uh, was sued, um, but both by private plaintiffs and, and by some public entities. That, and you know, the company has denied any any kind of wrongdoing, and a, a bunch of that litigation is ongoing. Um, we also reported that uh, a group of state uh, attorneys general are investigating um, Intuit. Um, I'm not sure uh, whether Connecticut is, is one of them or not, but uh, North Carolina and others. Um, and you know, these things tend to uh, sort of take a while. So. It, as I currently understand it, those investigations are ongoing. So we'll see if anything happens uh, this year. Yes, and we did reach out to the Connecticut Attorney General's office, and we did not hear back uh, by the, the time of this show. Uh, I want to make sure we mention that we're going to link to ProPublica's guide uh, for uh, people who are looking for suggestions, advice on where to go to file your taxes uh, free of charge. You can also find that link at where we live. Justin Elliott, reporter for ProPublica, thanks again for joining us today. Thank you. Again, Christine Gauman as well uh, for coming in to where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. We're going to sh- shift gears after the break because it's Super Tuesday and attention is on the outcome of the primaries in 14 states. But in another important election year, do Americans have the skills to navigate the misinformation and disinformation surrounding politics? We're going to talk about that again. Coming up, you can join us. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. After disinformation campaigns and fake news marred the 2016 presidential election, how can Americans figure out what is real information and what is fake? Connecticut Public has a new documentary that tackles that question and more, including how and why misinformation spreads. There's also guidance on how Americans can be better consumers of information in our digital world. That documentary is called Fake Searching for Truth in the Age of Misinformation. Uh, you can watch it at cptv.org slash fake. One of the people interviewed in that documentary is joining me now by phone. And Michelle Chula Lipkin is executive director of the National Association for Media Literacy Education. Michelle, welcome to our show. Hi, thanks for having me. I mentioned this national association. We should probably highlight that uh, your uh, association didn't pop up uh, since 2016. You've been around for some time. Uh, We have. Thank you for mentioning that. We've been around in some formation since 1997, actually. So this has been a really interesting few years for us because it's an issue that we've been thinking about for some time. And it seems like the rest of the public has has caught up uh, now with everything going on uh, in the news and in politics these days. Uh, This is a big topic and we don't have uh, too much time, but I wanted to start off if you could explain uh, the difference between misinformation and disinformation out there. Oh, absolutely. So I think that um, there's a lot of words being thrown out, um, you know, like you said, misinformation, disinformation, fake news, all of this. A lot of um, the difference is really about the intent of the information. So if you think of disinformation is malicious content like hoaxes or propaganda, really like 
geared for the purpose of being um, fake, right? That it, it, the man, malicious intent is what's important to note with disinformation. Misinformation is false or inaccurate information, but it's not necessarily with the same level of nefarious intent. And sometimes it's not even intending to be misinformation. It just is because it's inaccurate. So maybe different uh, a different example would be kind of like a prank or a false rumor. So misinformation Information is kind of just a little less nefarious than disinformation, um, but it's also important to note that there's a lot of just information out there that we need to understand, and it and we should really be thinking about it in terms of understanding all information out there, not just the stuff um, that might be false. Is there too much focus, Michelle, on what tech companies like Facebook could do to uh, get rid of these bad actors or to be able to glean uh, what is disinformation being circulated? When we talk about media literacy, what is at the core? Well, I think two really good questions. So first, I'll go with the media literacy. So media literacy is really looking at what skills people need today to be literate in this new digital world, right? What are the skills we need to read, to author in all forms of media and communication? The way we define media literacy is the ability to act, create, analyze, access, and evaluate all forms of communication. So it's really broad, right? So um, the question that you asked, though, before that was about, are we paying too much attention to the tech companies? And I, I wouldn't say we're paying too much attention to the tech companies. I think they play a really important role, and we're just understanding the way that these enormous companies and these enormous platforms work. But I don't think we're paying enough attention to the to the media literacy part of things. We're not paying enough attention to what we need to be doing in our education systems um, to really make sure that um, we all have the skills we need to navigate this very complex information ecosystem. Um, so I would say that there is a balance that needs to, to be had, you know, that it's not going to, everything's not going to be resolved if Facebook changes their practices, although they should really look at their practice. We have to look at each you know, individual person and what skills we need to thrive in this world. Um, and we're not doing, unfortunately, we're not doing a great enough job um, at that in this country. I think it's an important point that you bring up about how media literacy should be incorporated in education uh, before we get into how even young people in elementary school may be thinking about media literacy uh, as they learn. There is a statistic in this documentary, Fake, that uh, during the presidential election, um, many people over 65, they yeah. were more likely to share fake information. So they're no longer in uh, the, the education or higher education system. So how do we reach Americans like them? Well, first of all, such an important point. Like, we have to really think differently about education and especially continuing education now that we're living in an environment that is so technologically advanced and therefore is constantly changing. What are we going to do long term to make sure people outside of formal education are getting the skills that they need and really being able to adapt to the, to the world that really needs, you know, um, 
to be us to be flexible and us to be willing to continue to learn these new tools and platforms. So what is really heartening is that there's a lot of people asking this question and there's actually quite a bit of work happening in our community centers and our senior centers and um, our public libraries right now to really make sure that those that are not in formal education spaces are getting the training that they need. Um, I think um, very specifically in the documentary, actually, that you mentioned, um, there's um, work being done by a great organization called OATS, which is Older Adult Technology Services, and they're doing great work with older adults and teaching them about not only technical skills, but also assessment of information. Um, I think that we can't be surprised at what we saw in 2016 because we haven't been addressing the education of this population in this new world. So I feel really heartened by what I'm seeing, like I said, in community centers and and public libraries. And we also know that there's um, funding that has come to some of our partners to really go out in throughout the country and do trainings. Like um, PEN America um, is doing work around the country. News Collab from Arizona State University is doing work around the country with this older population. So there's a lot of focus on that because, again, they don't have the opportunity to be in this formal education space, um, you know, this year or, or really, you know, ever. So we need to really address that as a, as a society. On where we live right now is Michelle Chula Lipkin, Executive Director of the National Association for Media Literacy Education. As again, we talk about how Americans can be smarter consumers of information out there. Uh, as part of the problem, Michelle, that Americans are also confused about what exactly is journalism when they go online and they see a news headline or an article or a headline and they may think it's a news article, but it isn't? Yeah, so there is a real misunderstanding about, like I said before, information in general. And I think that's one of the most challenging parts of the social media platforms because the platforms are designed in a way where it is very difficult to to assess information just by going through your feed because it literally looks similar, right? You know, a link to a blog post um, looks the same as a link to uh, a journalism site, right? So so people don't necessarily understand how to distinguish um, between the really quality information that's going to get you relevant and reliable information and information that is more based on, you know, some opinion and some, um, you know, more, it's more biased than you know, investigative journalism might be. So um, it's a very difficult thing to determine. Um, and that's why at the very basic level, we just need people to to slow down a little bit, mm-hmm. right? We really need people to understand that there is a lot of information out there that is not accurate. So your best bet is if you can't assess it, if you don't have time to, to just not share it, um, to not spread, con- continually to spread information that you can't, you can't verify. It's really important that we just pause and we stop and we don't continue to just spread this, this false information. And I think we all have to assume that the information out there, all information needs to be questioned and our initial 
our initial instinct whenever we're processing information, whether it's on the news, whether it's in our social media feeds, is to constantly be asking questions like, who made this and, and why, you know, what do they want me to do with this information and how does this information make me feel and really get used to asking questions um, so that we can just be better at being skeptical about all information. Before we run out of time, Michelle, I did want to go back to media literacy in schools. But before we get to that, I was talking about what we see online. What happens when you have politicians saying things that are not true? How do you talk about that with your students when you're teaching media literacy? Well, I think, you know, you know, let's be honest, politicians have always been, um, you know, bound to lie or to spin or to, you know, to really be incredibly biased for their message, right? And so, yes, there is a, an incredible, you know, extreme situation that we're in right now, but we've always, we should always be questioning our politicians and always be asking hard questions for, you know, the, how they're acting, what they're saying, what their policies are, you know, what, um, you know, how they're leading. We should always be doing that no matter who is in the White House, no matter who is in um, the in Congress, and regardless of whether they're in our party or not, we should always be questioning politicians and, and their motives and their um, track records. Um, but I think that it just like with anything, um, again, we, we need to be asking questions. So getting down to the information, being able to fact check, being able to assess claims that are being stated, whether it's on Twitter or um, in press conferences, really just assuming that you can never assume that anything is 100% correct, right? You know, we have to be analyzing perspective and, um, and bias and all of these things more so than we even need to be assessing whether something is true or false. Uh, Michelle, um, because- uh, I just wanted to make sure we go back to, uh, and again, these are important points. Hopefully people watch fake uh, against uh, streaming yes, at cptv.org slash fake. But media literacy in public schools, how should teachers approach this? Well, I think that what we need really is for um, the the U.S. to make it a national priority and give teachers the training that they need. Um, so my my initial advice and my quick advice is to become a member of our organization. It's free, um, and you can go to Namely.net and become a member, and then you'll get access to you know our newsletters with new resources and new curriculum and new reports and new opportunities for teachers to learn about what is available to them within this space um, because we have a huge network of partners and organizations that are doing this work in in the country, in regions, and communities. So please join our organization, and you'll get a lot of information that would be helpful, you know, in your classroom tomorrow. Uh, Michelle Chula Lipkin, again, is executive director of the National Association for Media Literacy Education. She's one of several interviewed in this new documentary from Connecticut Public called Fake. You can watch it at cptv.org slash fake. Michelle, thanks for joining us. We hope to have you back. We have a longer conversation about this. Great. Thank you so much. Thanks for bringing this important topic to everyone. Today's show produced by Carmen Baskoff. Our technical producer is Kat Pastor. Learn more about the show. Download Where We Live on your favorite podcast app. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Thanks for listening.